We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, at Talk Radio. We are back in the nice cosy studios on London's South Bank uh, and we're still waiting for something to happen. We've got the cleaners into the tent of shame to prepare for later in the week after Theresa May returns from Brussels with yet another protracted version of her withdrawal agreement for us to reject. Over the weekend, the Prime Minister took it upon herself to explain to us what is happening with Brexit. Apparently, people come up to her all the time and ask her what's happening. Well, you'd think that she might have had an answer prepared by now, but really, could you believe some of the nonsense she came out with in that particular video? Um, I don't know where she gets it from, and I mean her chutzpah, uh, her cojones, her ability uh, to see everything that nobody else sees and to not see everything that everybody else can see from 500 miles away. As we await some smoke emerging from the House of Lords later on, uh, on why we can't leave on Friday with no deal, there seems to be a mood change going on out there. Uh, Can it be that the long Brexit extension is the one we end up with? I think it is, Uh, and that means we will still be wrestling with this problem for another year. For heaven's sake, 0344 499 1000. The good news is, of course, that we're not going to kick things off with Brexit because literally nothing has happened since the last time you and I had a conversation last Friday. There is no news. There is no progress. uh, There is no moving forward. We are still stuck in the sandbox and we are still moving absolutely nowhere fast. Coming up first this morning, uh, we're going to address the plight of yet another British subject who's been arrested in Dubai for calling her ex-husband's new wife a horse on Facebook three years ago. The case highlights the trouble with breaking the laws of another country, but it also proves that social media can indeed be policed, whether you agree with the way it's done or not. Plenty of you will say this is a horrendous invasion of privacy, it's a horrendous um, uh, cut down of free speech, but actually, if there were people breaking the law in this country on Facebook, on Twitter, would you not want to have them arrested? 0344 499 1000. Also coming up, we'll be finding out why Nottingham is the most dishonest place in the United Kingdom and why you should spend more time playing games with your children. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, back in the studio where it's nice and warm and cosy right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you might or might not know the story. I'm sure you will have heard it on the Julie Hartley Brewer no-nonsense breakfast this morning that a woman uh, from Britain is facing jail in Dubai because she called her ex-husband's new wife a horse in a Facebook post in 2016. Now, uh, they say uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and there will be plenty of former wives who have called uh, the new wife something a lot worse than that. You might not have written it down anywhere, but you've certainly thought about it and you may have even uh, transmitted it in some way, shape or form, either in a letter, uh, in an email, uh, on some kind of Facebook post or a Twitter post or something like that. Obviously, it's a ridiculous thing that she's being uh, threatened with jail over, and she could go to jail, I think, uh, for as long as five years. The country has very strict cyber crime laws, and it turns out that the new wife actually reported her over this post, even though it happened three years ago in 2016. So she arrives in Dubai with her daughter, uh, the daughter that she had with the former husband. It's the former husband's funeral. As soon as she lands, uh, they pick her up on the passport, and they see that she's wanted for this particular cyber crime, uh, and they take her away, and they lock her up. Uh, 
she's had to hand over a passport and she's been banned from leaving the country. And she could end up paying a very hefty fine and she could end up, in fact, uh, being found guilty and imprisoned for quite some time. We're going to talk now uh, to Matthew Lesh, who's head of research at the Adam Smith Institute, because this story for me is not just about another one of these Britons abroad who has got themselves into trouble uh, by crossing the line and breaking a local law in a country which is very, very strict on various things. It's more about the way that we police uh, the cyber crime units of this country, the way that we police uh, social media, the way that we police all sorts of things, because of course we now have, or we are now on the cusp of what some people are calling the Snoopers Charter, which is the Investigatory Powers Bill, uh, which some people think is a dangerous affront on freedom of speech. Matthew, uh, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. There's a whole host of questions I've got for you. Uh, I mean, obviously, the first one is about uh, the, the, the woman in question, Lale uh, Sharavesh, who's currently uh, sort of under house arrest in Dubai, could end up going to prison for quite a long time on the basis that she once insulted someone on Facebook three years ago. Now, um, I have sympathy for her. But again, like all of the people that do these types of things, she should have known better, really, presumably, uh, than to re-enter Dubai without checking first that this wasn't going to be a problem. I mean, look, obviously, uh, from, a, from a purely legalistic perspective, one should always make sure that they're, when they're travelling, they're not breaking foreign laws. Mm. At the same time, though, as, as a liberal uh, Western democracy, I think we're well in our rights to criticise laws um, that, that overstep and, and say that just because you've, I was saying self to someone online isn't necessarily a reason to be arrested and, and thrown in jail. And I think it's, it's very interesting timing, of course, with the government uh, launching its own internet censorship regime today, mm. um, that this kind of thing could happen overseas. It's really uh, probably, in a sense, I'd say it almost weakens the capacity of the British government to criticise a foreign government for for, um, for arresting someone for what they say on Facebook. If in the UK they're going to end up doing similar things anyway, maybe not necessarily putting people in jail, but forcing social media companies to censor similar kinds of yeah. material. Well, this is the trouble, isn't it? Because once you start talking about censoring the internet, once you start talking about what is uh, and is not offensive language and what is and is not uh, a crime, it depends on where you're coming from, doesn't it? Because obviously in Dubai, calling some woman a horse is a crime. Um, I think that's absolutely the case. And I, I think it's when the UK government, in a sense just amongst themselves, um, gives a, a justification for internet censorship. Um, sometimes these things can get lost in translation. So they, the, the, in Dubai, they can point and say, well, well the UK government also makes it illegal um, to say certain things online, and therefore it's okay for us just to throw someone in jail. When I'd say we, we, we probably actually want to be taking a more liberal approach in the first place when it comes to what people are allowed to say and, and think and believe. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We have two schools of thought here. Uh, one, which is the sort of the purest speech, free speech uh, school of thought, which says basically you should be allowed to say anything, do anything, uh, write anything, think anything, uh, uh, because otherwise to censor people's thoughts, to make people guilty of thought crimes is entirely wrong and entirely outside of the reason why the internet was invented. But the trouble with that is that you end up then not being able to stop ghastly uh, paedophilia. You end up not being able to stop people putting pictures of executions online. You end up uh, uh, having to, to, to somehow defend and stand over uh, the, the, the broadcast live of a guy in New Zealand shooting a bunch of people inside a mosque. Necessarily probably a, a balance to some extent to be reached. Um, I, in my view, the presumption uh, in a free society should be uh, you should be able to freely express yourself. That should be 
um, up most of the principal, and then there should be exceptions to that. Uh, of course, um, we've always had exceptions to that when it comes to defamation, when it comes to inciting violence, um, when, it, when it comes to, to pedophilia, of course. These things should, of course, uh, be removed from online uh, social media companies and, and the internet in general. And I, and I think, in fact, most of the social media companies will probably broadly agree with that. Um, and they're well, they're starting to... Well, they're, they're, they're starting, true. Matthew, to broadly agree with it, but that wasn't the position they had at the very beginning of this conversation, was it? They're now starting to say, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg only last week finally came out and said, actually, I think governments should be doing more uh, because it's not something that we can police properly, which is the first time, really, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg has even entered the debate without saying, you know, well, it's not really down to us to start censoring people. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit sceptical of uh, what Zuckerberg is saying, because of course, he's the one who can deal with all this kind of regulation. He's the one who can actually has the thousands of, of moderators and censors who has quite detailed policies when it comes to government intervening. He, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg said himself uh, to, the, to the US Congress that he can afford the cost of, of this kind of red tape of all this, of all this speech regulation. Um, it's, it's much harder for, I suppose, smaller online companies because we've got, we've got to remember when this white paper that that's the government's announcing today, it's not just going to cover the big social media giants. Mm. It's also going to cover um, web forums like Mumsnet. It's going to cover even uh, media comment sections on newspaper websites or any really any website. So what the government's doing is, is going way beyond just um, perhaps trying to remove existing illegal material from right. on, for the online space. I think they're probably going much further, unfortunately, um, well, in my view, at least. Yes, no, I think that's the problem, Matthew. I mean, I think you and I would probably largely agree on what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. But yeah. the trouble is, there will be plenty of other people who would disagree with, with, with our parameters, right? And the problem for me in all of this is that the, the authorities and, and even the social media networks themselves appear to operate purely and simply from the point of view of who has complained. For example, even in Dubai, uh, this woman, Lale Sharavesh, would not be in uh, under house arrest currently if the other woman hadn't reported her. Because it's not as if they found this uh, this uh, Facebook post from three years ago while she was walking through the airport and suddenly went, oh, my goodness, there's that woman who said that horrible thing. We better arrest her. They, she was arrested purely and simply because the other wife, the new wife, complained. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And one of the things that worries me in what the government's currently intending to do is they've created this new category, which they call, um, to quote, harms with a less clear legal definition. That is to say things... <laughs> what, you mean things that are actually legal? Things that are actually legal, indeed. Yeah. Um, we're talking about, I would say, misinformation, mm. um, something that's a very difficult to define term because what might be misinformation for you is completely different to me or, or somebody else. Right. We're talking about using phrases like internet trolling. Um, obviously, there's, there's real and, and meaningful bullying online, but is internet trolling me just you know, criticising the Prime Minister? Is that, is that internet trolling? Yeah. Is it me criticising a friend? It's, it's the, well, I mean, I've, for example, I've had death threats, right, uh, from people on Twitter. But whenever I've reported those death threats, I've always got uh, this tweet did not violate our uh, code of standards, you know, because apparently making a death threat is OK. However, uh, some people who have used more colourful language, not to, to threaten to kill me, but just to call me names, have, have been suspended from Twitter because they used a language which was considered to be, um, you know, against their rules. Yeah, and I think this is part of the whole core of the problem when it comes to trying to regulate speech in the first place yeah. is, the, is the, the barriers 
and the lines aren't easily drawn in a lot of cases. In some cases, I think it's quite clear, like what we're talking about incitement to violence, that's, that's absolutely um, wrong and, and a death threat is absolutely wrong and should be removed in any case. But we're talking about really the, the fine issues of, of where, where does criticism um, step into trolling, into bullying, or, or, or where, does, um, where does commentary about a, a controversial political issue um, and, and the way you're, or let's say immigration, for example, is that at what point is talking about immigration completely reasonable commentary yeah. and at what point is it stepping into something that one might consider hate speech or racism? Right. These, these lines aren't very clear and it worries me when the government starts to step in here as they're currently doing. They're, in, they're going to end up very much forcing the social media companies to err on the side of censorship. Yeah. And, and that's and that, and that is the thing, though. But but it may well be better for the social media. I don't know what you think about this, but it may well be better for social media companies to police it, uh, particularly when it comes to things which are not crimes. Because, for example, you know, if you're indulging in some kind of paedophilia and you are posting paedophilia style uh, memes or uh, you know um, images or anything like that, I mean, there is a law that covers that. That's already illegal, right? So what I'm what the things we're talking about, I suppose, are the things which are more uh, in a grey area. Because what you don't want really is the police being rather heavy-handed about somebody uh, who appears to have said something rather off-colour uh, and which may or may not be considered to be politically incorrect. But they shouldn't have the police knocking on their door saying, you know, excuse me, we want to have a word with you. Well, well of course, that's literally what, what's already happened in the online space. Right. Uh, people people have been had the police knock on their door um, for, for retweeting poems that are allegedly transphobic. Yeah. Um, in, in just, I mean, just that's just case. bonkers, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely bonkers. Um, but I think the problem is with, with you, the more you kind of push the regulation, the more um, you, you, the government tries to intervene in what's really kind of a developing space when it comes to speech, um, they're, they're going to end up wanting to be quite limiting. And, of course, the government here is creating a new, wants to create a new regulator of the internet, and they want to force social media companies to be liable for what people say online. So what are the social media companies going to do? Well, they're going to be very happy to remove content if they think that there's going to be a risk on their 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 back end financially or that potentially even an executive could get arrested. So I think in the end, if the government does step in in this way, it's going to be quite censorious because the only choice for the, the social media companies will be remove, remove, remove as much content could, could cause any risk to them. Well, that's exactly right. But I mean, what we what we don't want is is to see, as you say, we already do already um, a police force which they're already complaining is is undermanned and under resourced, having to waste a load of time uh, trying to track people down who have said something offensive on the internet. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It, it feels like a, a complete waste of, of police time and a, a very illiberal use of of police resources. Uh, and I like the idea of the police being on the street, um, having a physical presence. Um, and, and not necessarily scrolling through Twitter all the time and telling us what we're allowed to say and what we're allowed to think. Right. And also, you know, one person complaining about something should not affect an entire sort of, you know, uh, full force of the law wheeling into effect where, you know, sort of police cars are driven at high speed to somebody's address. You know, it just it's, it's almost a parody of itself. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and the police now try to even track those things. They're, they've, they've got the category of, um, non-crime hate instances, so otherwise completely legal speech that someone finds offensive, mm. um, and, and they, they try to categorise this and, and tell us that there's a, a big problem with what people are saying. I'm just not sure that this is something they need to do 
whatsoever in the first place. I just worry that something needs to be done because it would be lovely. It's a bit like some of the uh, arguments that were made about racism in football uh, and, you know, chanting at football matches and all of that. You know, it would be nice if you could let people chant anything they like because hopefully they wouldn't choose to chant anything ghastly. But unfortunately, the world is full of some rather ghastly people. And by the same token, so is social media. And in the end, um, if people are not willing to actually sort of police themselves and not be absolutely ghastly to one another, um, we wouldn't need to do anything. But we, but that's not the case. I, I, think, I think to an extent, although I also think there's, there's some value in, in letting people actually say things that we don't necessarily like um, in, in being ghastly to each other, because I think that gives you an opportunity in, in free debate to respond to, to bad ideas or revolting concepts. It gives you this this opportunity to yeah well that was all fine until until fake news was invented and people started to disbelieve mainstream news and started to believe news that was coming from places that couldn't actually be identified properly uh, or which were quite happy to pump out false information and unfortunately because a lot of people out there are not very bright they start to believe people who are telling them stuff which isn't true which can then lead to all sorts of problems i think that's 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 true to an extent i think people if you look at some of the more recent polling on, on misinformation and fake news, um, I think people a little might be a little bit smarter uh, than sometimes they, they're given credit for really? in the sense that people You're much people more of an optimist skeptical. than I am. People a little bit people a little bit sceptical of um, news sites they don't know. People typically look to the, the kind of mainstream news, like particularly the BBC has the, the highest ratings, places like Talk Radio or um, LBC or, or whatever else. People to, to, to I think, to a larger extent than a few years ago, um, are becoming more sceptical about online content. Mm. It is very difficult to, to find a, a, a sort of a, a true path in the midst of it all. Matthew, appreciate your time. Thank you. Matthew Lesh there, Head of Research at the Adam Smith Institute. I don't think anyone can call me today and guarantee that they will be able to say where the line should be drawn. You might say there should be no lines drawn. I'm looking at a piece from The Independent today, uh, which says, as the old saying goes, in heaven the food is Italian, the beer is German, and the police are British, because we love a good sort of police state going on in this country. I'm not in favour of the police turning up at people's door for saying you uh, said something horrible to somebody else on Twitter uh, and you're now transphobic uh, or you're homophobic or you're Islamophobic. I don't want that to be the case. However, there is some pretty nasty stuff out there on the internet and I also want my children to be in some way protected from it, don't you? More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Live Nations teamed up with Talk Radio to give five lucky winners a chance to see acclaimed comedian Jeff Norcott live on his new Taking Liberties tour this autumn. As seen on Live at the Apollo, The Mash Report and Mock the Week, Jeff is bringing his unique brand of provocative stand-up comedy to a venue near you. As well as through entering online to be entered into a draw to win, you can also buy tickets at livenation.co.uk. Now, those of you who follow me on Twitter will know that I spent most of the day yesterday uh, with four teenage kids at Thorpe Park, uh, taking them on the day trip of their lives where they got to do all sorts of horrendous things on very fast-moving apparatus, uh, which went round and round, up and down, uh, and indeed upside down, uh, while I just watched them while drinking coffee. I thought to myself, what a great dad I am. I've taken my kids and his friends 
out to uh, this amazing theme park, uh, which is something they've wanted to do for a very, very long time. And so uh, while I was patting myself on the back, I read a story this morning uh, in which it says that less than two out of three, uh, almost a third rather, of under fives do not read with someone at home every day and only half spend time learning the alphabet or recognising words. An extraordinary statistic that if you have children, why would you not want to read to them? Why would you not want to play with them? Why would you not want to spend time with them? Why bother having them? Let's look to John Adam, Adams rather from dadblogukcom John, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Mike. Now, my apologies for the earlier virtue signalling about being a great dad, because like everybody, I'm not always a great dad, and uh, I'm going to use this for quite some time to come to prove uh, to anyone that asks me that I am a great dad. But but this is a bit of a worrying statistic, isn't it? It is a worrying statistic. Um, it is very sad that people don't you know, spend more time reading to their kids, and, and they are actually some very... Um, you know, when I read this, I felt it was actually some very basic things that that certain parents aren't actually doing with their kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's one of those awkward things. You never know what an individual's circumstances are. You know, you could have a single mum or dad who's looking after several kids and holding down a full-time job. I wouldn't want to come down too heavy on some people, but, you know, for, for some people... They've clearly got an issue, and yes. they should be doing things differently. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know that the advent of, of the sort of the iPad and the and the tablet, um, and I'm not just saying that because lots of middle class parents do it, but lots of parents of all hues and all and all kind of income levels have got kids. I mean, I've seen kids uh, in pushchairs with little tablets in in their in their laps, you know, being pushed around at the age of two, uh, basically playing with with a tablet. Uh, yes. Um... I have seen that, uh, and the thing that always gets me, actually, is when I'm out uh, you know, in a restaurant or something, and I see, uh, well, in fact, actually, the, the one that really gets me is not so much when I see parents put a tablet in front of their kid, but when I see parent and kid, both of them, uh, with a tablet or a smartphone in front of them. And I, I, I do feel that, you know, something's gone a bit wrong. Mm. When uh, you know, because I mean, the parents setting a shocking example to their kid by doing that. Well, that's yeah. right. And is it? I mean, it's all a bit too easy as well for some parents to say, "Well, you know, just give them that, and, and you don't have to talk to them. You don't have to." But it's. But I always say to myself, if that's the case, why have you bothered to have children in the first place? Yeah, I mean, um, you, you know, I, I am the main carer for my kids, but you know, I work from home during school hours, and if a kid is ill or something like that, look, I do what every parent will do. If I need half an hour apiece. You know, you can go play on the Xbox or you can do some coding or something like that. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it, there, there have to be limits. There have to be limits. Um, I worry that kids are losing social skills because they're spending too much time on certain activities um, yes. online. So these things have to be regulated. They, they do. And I mean, as a parent, do you find that difficult? Because I think we all struggle with it in one way, shape or form. I was seeing a story over the weekend about a load of Premier League footballers who are apparently being treated for addiction to Fortnite. Now, Fortnite is a particular bugbear of mine because both of my kids like it. I keep waiting for them to kind of move on and move past it. That hasn't quite happened yet. But we've had to be quite strict about how often they can do it. Uh, yes. I mean, I think actually, it, for, for me, I, I, and, you know, I... I strongly think that this generation of parents, um, we are the first generation that has had to deal with the online world. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're all trying very hard. You know, a lot of us are trying our best, but it's a new challenge. We've got to look at the advice that is out there. We've got to regulate and keep a close eye on what our kids are doing. And actually what gets me is games like Fortnite. Obviously, I don't know how old your children are, but 
um, my, you know, a lot of my eldest daughter's friends have got access to Fortnite and WhatsApp and yeah. the Avenger of the apps and games. And these are all games. They've all got age ratings that are right. sort of 13 and above. And my daughter's, you know, she's just about to turn 10. Right. And, I, you know, there's a real issue with, with some parents just letting their kids do far too much too young, I think. Oh, I think that's true, yeah, because partly they've allowed themselves to be kind of affected by peer pressure from other kids who are 10 whose parents let them do it and then that becomes a problem and i remember i tell i've told this story before uh, of one uh, particular a parent of a friend of one of my kids when he was about 11 um called up and said oh is it all right if uh, if your son and my son play um call of duty together and we were like yeah, no it's yeah. an 18 no i mean you know and clearly for them it wasn't a problem but at least they had the good sense to give us a call and ask uh, it's actually, and I, I th- I'm pretty sure most parents can uh, relate to this. Um, I think every child has the one friend whose parents just let them do what the hell they like yeah. online. Yeah. And yeah, as a parent, you know, they then come home to you saying, "Oh, can I have access to Call of Duty? Can I have access to, you know, Grand Theft Auto? Can I have WhatsApp? Can I have Instagram?" And you, it's tiring for you as a parent because you have to say, no, yeah. no, no, this stuff is not meant for right. you. And it's because this other parent or parents just let their kids do what they want. Sure. And it is, a, it is a huge bugbear of mine. And you, don't, and you don't want to spend your entire time with them because it's precious enough as it is. Um, you know, I don't see as much of my children as I would like to. But, you know, you don't want to be spending the whole time you're with them saying you can't do that. No, you know. Exactly, because then you look, bad as a parent yeah <laughs> yeah know, exactly and, and, and it is tiring i mean you how know, do you get how do you get for example what would be if you had the ability to instruct anybody else or advise anybody else to get your kids into reading books rather than just playing on uh, on screens i mean how do you do that right um it's something that i'm trying to do more with my children yeah. is to actually have them see me reading yes be it a newspaper or a book, and yeah. I'm not a wireless device, not anything with a screen. Yeah, has to be paper, and um, I'm not necessarily reading with them, but I'm saying right, I'm sitting down yeah. now to read. Yes, um, and making sure that they see me. And something that I have been trying to do, and I've been quite honest, sort of failing. I've got the two kids, obviously, and um, <laughs> trying to get them both to do the same thing at the same time is a bit of a struggle. <laughs> but something I'm trying to do mm. is to actually sit down and read with them while they are also reading. Yes. Yeah, um, no, I think that's a great idea because they do want to follow by example at the end of the day. And if you spend your entire day staring into a phone, that's what they're going to do. John, listen, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. John Adams uh, there from dadblogukcom It is a struggle, uh, but you've got to do it. You can't have children and just not bother with them and just not t- tell them anything that's interesting. Just not let them find things out for themselves by reading books and by reading magazines and by reading newspapers. You know, get them away from the screen as often as you possibly can. And I was, you know, as I say, I'm not going to bang on about it, but it was really nice for me to actually spend the day out with my son and his friends um, doing something that actually happened outside the house, you know? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, uh, the study is as follows, okay? Uh, One insurance company, uh, which I will name very shortly, I think it's called Protect Your Bubble, 52% of people in Nottingham said they would not hand in possessions to the police or try and find the owner of anything that they found on the streets. Now, we've all had this situation happen to us, I'm sure, where you find either a credit card uh, or you find some uh, money, some cash. Uh, If you're lucky enough to find a big bag of cash, uh, you might actually be tempted more uh, to keep it than to give it back. Also, not very easy now to find a police station to hand stuff into because more often than not you try and find the police station if you do find it uh, you ring the bell outside and they tell you that there's nobody in there uh, and you're actually talking to some kind of uh, telephonist somewhere uh, in the middle of nowhere and you can't actually go inside and hand anything in if you've had that kind of experience if you've had that kind of situation or if you've ever found anything which was actually really valuable I'd love to hear your story 0344 499 a is the number basically residents in Nottingham are the least likely to return or have over lost items to owners uh, in this study that was done up and down the country. Your mobile phone. I mean, I found people's mobile phones and got got it back to them. I found somebody's switch card um, a few months ago and managed to find the person involved on Facebook, and they actually uh, uh, got it back. So um, it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Liverpudlians, apparently, uh, more of them would try to return lost cash and lost property than almost anybody else in the country. So why is it that people in Nottingham uh, are so dishonest? 0344 499 1000. If you live in Nottingham, uh, you should indeed uh, be very worried about this. You should be calling me up to to protest against this study and tell me that you are very honest. Con, our producer, went to Plymouth at the weekend. Now, that is supposedly named as one of the most honest parts uh, of the country where people tell the truth. Turns out they don't. He got into a cab and was told that he shouldn't go to a particular pub on the grounds that he wouldn't be allowed in for wearing a football scarf. It turns out he got to that pub and everybody inside was wearing football scarves. Everybody was wearing shirts. Everybody was wearing colours of the team that they supported and there was no problem at all. So it's not true to say that Plymouth is the very truthful uh, capital of this country because uh, the cab drivers would tend to suggest otherwise. Let's talk to Grant Harold though and find out uh, what is going on here because, of course, there are times when it is permissible to tell lies. Grant, a very good uh, afternoon. To you. Welcome back. Good afternoon, sir. The, no. the poor people of Nottingham. I feel so sorry for them. It's a what a thing to be to be like that. But um, well, they were famous for Robin Hood, weren't they? Taking well, from the rich true. and giving that's to good, the poor. That's a good point, and, and and I think we all love Robin Hood. So um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're not going to talk about men in tights at this point, but the problem is, if somebody finds money on the on the street, um, it's quite difficult to know what to do now, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, I tell you, my, my story was, I was walking out of the office here one day, a few months ago, um, and I came upon um, one of these, it was a debit card, basically, lying on the ground, and I picked it up and I thought, now, what do I do with this? Because it was out, it wasn't close enough to a shop to walk into the shop and say, somebody's dropped this. So yeah. I thought, OK, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go to maybe, um, the, and it had somebody's name on it, but no other information. I went, uh-huh. to the, so I went to the tube station and I said to them, I don't know whether uh, you have a lost property place here, but if somebody's lost this near the station, yeah. they might come and look for it. And they said, well, we only have the central lost property place in Baker Street. Um, so if you give it to us, that's where it'll end up. Um, and, and the woman actually says to me, why don't you do a bit of uh, private detective work and see if you can find them on Facebook, which I did. And I found the woman concerned oh, and, and she was delighted. And I was able to get in touch with her on Facebook. So she wasn't frightened when I rang her. Uh, it was like a free, you know, it was one of those Facebook calls because I think people would be concerned. They'd go, you've just stolen this, haven't you, in order to yeah, contact yeah. me. But it's very, you know, because of the, the world in which we now live, you have to be so careful. 
You do, and I'm probably too trustworthy, like yourself. If I find something, I'll I'll do my best to return it. Whether, as you said, it's not always easy at the police station, but uh, you know, if you find, I've even found pairs of of gloves and just things that have, you know not huge value but I still tr- I try to place them near where I found them hoping that somebody will come back and retrieve them yes it doesn't always happen and the dangerous bit is somebody else will come along and think well that's a lovely pair of gloves and off they go with them right um, so it's a real it's a real tricky one but as far as etiquette goes it's it's a bit of a minefield because you know obviously we shouldn't lie um, everyone will always say there's nothing wrong with a little white lie and I think in etiquette there is an extent of that because how many times have we seen somebody that's been dressed in the most ghastly outfit and you say oh you look lovely yes. or, or they've got a scent a perfume on and it's it's not a, a, not fantastic smelling but you can't say to them oh you smell awful what about so, people that wear too much perfume what can you say to them well, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? I mean, apart from kind of standing and look, looking as if you're about to pass out, you've right. got to kind of be polite <laughs> and, and maybe don't say anything. You know, maybe don't make comment. Um, I mean, I, I've one or two people I've probably shocked over the years where I said, oh, you've got a lovely scent, and they're a bit kind of... Wow, did they yeah. actually smell nice? Because that, that could be seen as a kind of um, a, bit hara- a bit of a harassment it type can. situation. It can, so you've got to be so careful to get the, the right balance. And I mean, if I walk past it. somebody in the office, right, a woman hmm. or a man, and I said, you smell great, I would consider that to be I would consider that to be a no no. I just don't think I could do that. Especially the men start following you around. Well exactly. But, but you exactly. know this, this is the problem and that's why you've got to be a little bit careful of who so if I said it to somebody now, it would definitely be somebody that I know really well. And say we were I was meeting them or we were going out for drinks or dinner or lunch, whatever and I would say to them, Oh, you look lovely yeah. or you smell but even if they had something like I thought that didn't look right, um, you're not going to say to them, oh, why on earth are you wearing, you're going to wear that? Yeah. Unless it's possibly your other half. Hopefully, when it's your other half, you're going to say to them, you look awful in that, or mm. you smell that. Well, that, you say that, but that could also be dangerous area because, you know, it's mm. like the typical, it's like the, the, the old-fashioned does my bum look big in this question. Well... You know... <laughs> And if you ever answer yes, that's that's the end, really. It is, it is the end. And yeah, quite right. I remember many, many years ago when I was a teenager, so quite a while back, and my very first job at uh, this private house in Scotland, and we had a new housekeeping lady uh, who started, and she put a uniform on, and she was kind of looking, and I, I was trying to be polite, and she said, do I look okay in this? And she didn't, it was a bit tight-fitting, but I didn't want to say anything. Right. And I'm going, you look lovely, you know, trying to be polite. And what I didn't realise was that the, 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 she'd actually, when she'd put the, the, the skit on, she'd managed to somehow tuck, she'd been to the loo and got her skit. And oh, God, tucked, that's yeah, not good, yeah. And, and, and I was too embarrassed to say anything, and I was trying to work out how to say something without being rude and at which point somebody else came in and said to her, oh god don't go out the door and then and then she's saying to me why did you not say something right. so i have and recently another quick example i was flying from inverness um down to bristol and at the airport this lady came out of the loo and she had a loo roll actually tucked it was coming out of the oh. back of her and i stood there and i looked and i thought i have to say something because yes. she can't walk right so i went up and I said, i'm terribly sorry you appear to have some loo roll coming out of your rear <laughs> end and she was absolutely mortified raced in and, and then when she came back out she's like thank you so much and so you do have to to say so you wouldn't on that occasion say to mm. somebody oh you look lovely carry on because that would just be crazy well so of course of course but you're a very brave man grant what about have you ever lost anything and then had it returned 
Um, no, sadly I haven't, and I have lost. Oh, actually I have. I lost a wallet. I lost a wallet a few years a few years ago at a friend's a friend's home, and I couldn't find it. And but of course this is a friend. Of course they're going to suddenly say to you, "Oh, I found your wallet." But luckily, um, I, I, actually I lost a mobile phone once in the mm. states, and I never got that returned. Yeah, I'm I left. Sure. I, I lost a mobile phone once in a New York taxi. Um, oh and actually got it, it and back. actually got it back. No, I got it back. Got it back. Yeah, the guy who found wow. it rang the first number that he could see in wow. there, which happened to be my sister's number, uh, who works in New York, and she uh, then was able to put him in touch with me. It was so I was amazed. It was really great. That, and, he wouldn't, a... and he wouldn't accept any. Because I was like, I must be able to give you some kind of reward, and he wouldn't accept anything. I had to meet him so on a street corner in Park Avenue. Gave me the phone. I said, Well, can I, you know, buy you lunch or anything like that? He's like, No, no, no. I'll just, I'll just use God, this as, as, I'll just use this as, as good karma, and hopefully something similar will happen but, to me. But there's a question. What happens if you find a lottery ticket? Well, then what do you do? Well, it's paper. Do you, do you, do you obviously return it? Well, I would. Or is there somebody going to look at it and think, oh, that could be the big one? Yeah. You know. Um, well, maybe you check it first, and then you hand it back in. <laughs> check it, check it first, and then go <laughs> to them and then say, I think this is a winner. Can we share that? Yes. Um, and the other thing is, if somebody does return money or something of of, of serious value, I think it is really nice a really nice gesture to actually give something back i'm a huge believer in yes. the pay it forward idea i think depending on what we're talking about if we're talking about 10 pounds you might say oh here's a couple of quid to go and get coffee say thank you or something yeah or if it's if it's a serious amount of money you know then it's up to the individual what they want to do but i think i think it's important mm. because then it also says to people that you appreciate it you know the fact they went to that effort yes no absolutely right grant listen as ever thank you very much indeed grant harold there uh, the royal butler giving us the etiquette of what to do when you find something in the street the point is if you f- were to find say for example a load of cash in a brown paper bag say ten thousand quid right now you're going to struggle to find where to go with that because you're going to struggle to find a police station unless you happen to be right next to one um are you honestly not gonna um just keep it Ten thousand quid in cash untraceable not used notes or used notes i mean we're getting a bit carried away here but you know what i'm saying oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand want to take your calls coming up this is of course talk radio more blasted rhetoric from the banana republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough <laughs> the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Talk Radio have teamed up with Imagine Cruising to give away a Venice Simplon Orient Express cruise holiday for two people. This 14-day holiday includes hotel stays in Rome, Florence and Venice, a 10-night full-board cruise on board the brand-new uh, Ms. New Statendam, and it's worth over £6,000. Plus, you'll be returning to London in elegant style on the world-famous Venice Simplon Orient Express, where you'll enjoy the opulent surroundings of the 1920s carriages as you swish through the European countryside. Simply visit talkradio.co.uk forward slash competition and register your details to take part in the Italian job quiz on air next week during the Matthew Wright Show. It is that easy. Full terms and conditions can be found uh, on the Talk Radio website. That's all thanks to Imagine Cruising. Coming up, we're asking you what you would do if you found something on the street. In Nottingham, they would not give it back. Uh, Dean says, if you found Theresa May's withdrawal agreement on the floor, would you hand it back or just stand there laughing? Uh, well, indeed. Uh, good luck finding anything in it that's of any interest. Uh, Downwith says, 10 grand in a brown paper bag on the street. You know that money is probably not legal money. Well, it's legal tender. It may be acquired in an illegal way, but it doesn't mean it's not legal money. So what would you do? Let's talk to Nicola, who's in Ashford. Hello, Nicola. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. What would you like to tell us? 
Well, so I found a couple of things. Uh, once when I was in Australia in the reptile house um, in a zoo, right. I found a, a, an iPhone, which I picked up and handed back. Okay. Um, I also found Where a... Where did you hand it, lens. though? Did you hand it, like, to the people in the reptile house? No, I, I, I handed it back into the cafeteria area. And okay. then when I left, I told the guy on the gate, if anyone says they've lost their phone, that I'd handed it in. Okay. Um, on the top of the Art of Triumph, I found someone's zoom lens. Really? That I gave to yeah, I gave to somebody that was up there, one of the you know people that worked there. Right. Um, and then in return, what happened to me is I I lost my camera when I jumped off a bus in London, and mm. it was it was in Olympic year. I think I'd been to the the Paralympics at this point, but the camera had a card in it that had you know most of my Olympic photos yeah. on it, and somebody handed that in. Oh, that's and nice. I got that back. Right. So I, I kind of feel it's karma. Mm. I um, think you're absolutely right. Yeah, you don't necessarily want a reward for it. But what I was no. saying, I suppose, there are things that, like I said, if you find cash, it's sometimes difficult to know what to do with that. Because I think there's a rule that if you take cash to a police station and then nobody claims it, it's yours, basically, after a certain period of time. I think you're right. I think after 30 days, it is yours. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the Hammersmith and City line, yeah. and this guy put his hand in his pocket and and was walking up the carriage, took his hand out, and five pounds flew onto the floor of the carriage. Right. So I picked it up, and I called him. He didn't answer. I called him again, and then he turned around, and he looked absolutely shocked that mm. I was giving him back his five-pound <laughs> note because I suppose quite a few people would just have gone off. Thank well, they wouldn't. But mine. also, I think people also genuinely are in shock if you speak to them anyway on any kind of public okay. transport. They're kind of like, what are you, you know, have you gone mad? There's some crazy woman talking to me, and you kind of look, you're not really aware of it, you know? Yeah, true. Lots of people are too much in their own world, aren't yeah. they, these days? Yeah, no, listen, well, I think you're absolutely uh, doing the right thing, and the karma will continue. Nicola, thank you very much indeed. Jonathan uh, is in Harringay. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed, sir. What do you want to say? Right, so I'm a London black cab driver, okay. and lost property is always a pain in the proverbial. Yes, I bet. Because legally, we're supposed to hand it into a police station within 48 hours. Right. However you find a police station open well that's what i was uh, saying i mean if you could find first of all find a police station second of all yeah. find somebody actually inside it you know good luck so we've we've the cab traders now got very novel ways of getting stuff back to people and there's twitter accounts now solely dedicated to lost property in black cabs which is technically not legal but you know what do you do if you can't you know you can't drop it off at a, a police station no exactly right and you must have found some pretty unusual stuff in the back of your cab well I've had a couple of uh, interesting ones, but probably the two most interesting ones were I, there was a camera in the back of my cab once, right. uh, and um, uh, I'd, I'd been empty for a while, you know, gone for lunch and so I got back and I thought, oh my God, who's left that there? And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll have a look through some of the pictures, and, you know, you recognise and you remember, you know, where you drop people off and that. Yeah. And uh, one shouldn't have looked at the pictures, should one say. <laughs> That's but always a bit fun. of a worry, isn't it? And then, and then of course, the guy. and then you're stymied because you can't then look at the person. And if you do find them, you can't go. Here's your phone back, or here's your camera back. You know? No, no, no. I just dropped it off at reception. It was the hotel. I said, I found this in this one of your guests. Yeah. And the the, the other interesting one was is someone once uh, uh, someone got in with their dog, and I'm driving away. I'm about half a mile away from where I've dropped them off at their house, and I look in the rearview mirror, and the dog's sitting on the seat. They'd left <laughs> their dog in the cab. <laughs> That's careless. Now, if that would have been me, I would have been in bits. I would have been gone mad. And yeah. I drove back to their house down in um, uh, in Tooting, right. knocked on the door, got their dog, knocked on the door, and the door opened just a tiny little bit and said, yes. I said, I've got your dog. They went, oh, okay. And the dog just walked in and they slammed the door. How bizarre. I would have come out. I would have hugged the person who found that dog. 
I would have given, I would have told them to take the keys to my house if yeah. I brought my dog back. People are very weird. And if, I mean, I know somebody once who found a passport on the street. It was in Glasgow, right? And she went to give it to the police station, and they wouldn't accept it. They were like, "Oh no, we can't do that. You have to post it back to the passport office." Yeah, I've had that in the cab. I've gone into a police station and I've found things in there and they just can't be bothered. Yeah. And you just don't know what to do. You're kind of stuck with this thing. Right. So what I do if I get a mobile phone now is is I leave it on. It's safe. You know, it's not going to go anywhere. And I just wait for someone to text it because they're all locked these days. You can't get into them. Right. And I wait for someone to text their own phone saying, you know, who's got my cab? And... Uh, uh, then I've got their number where they've texted it from. Right. The other phone that they're using. I go onto my phone and I text them, explain where it is and everything. And um, usually I post it back to them. Right. Uh, I send it in the post if they're far away. And, uh, and you know, that's it. You know, just put it in uh, parcel post, what it is. Right. For. One night and, I, lo- uh, I, left my, uh, I left my iPad once. I used to have it in this very loose-fitting sort of bag over my shoulder. And it somehow slipped off my shoulder on the bus, right? Left it in the bag, got home, realised oh, that it disappeared. Then did find my iPhone on it and found it was in some some place in South London. And I thought, somebody's nicked this. I'm going to, you know, so I got myself all psyched up. The next day I was going to drive down there and knock on this guy's door and accuse him of stealing it. I got down there. It turned out to be the bus lost property place. Um, and and, 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 it, and somebody had handed it in. So that was very nice as well. Yeah, most people hand things in. I don't, certainly in black cabs, you know. No, you not in Nottingham, in they don't. Well, if you lose something in a London black cab... You've got a ninety-nine percent chance of getting that back. Yeah. It's, it's just you know, it's it's never an issue. How are you Even enjoying the, the first? How are you enjoying the first day of Sadiq Khan's, uh, um, you well, know, ultra low emission zone? You guys don't have to pay it, do you? Well, there's a reason for that, um, which uh, everyone's banging on about. That cares don't have to pay all these yeah. zone things. I'm quite it's happy you don't have to pay. It, by the way, I'm very much in favour of you not paying it. It's because of the Equality Act. Every disabled accessible vehicle doesn't pay congestion zones uh-huh. in this country. Okay. And we are completely disabled actors. So if our brethren in the minicab trade don't want to pay it, just go and get a, 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 a disabled access to a vehicle. It's that simple. Right. No one has to pay if you're disabled access. Okay. And that's why we can't pay for the Equality Act. Well, I mean, so it's not as if your job is make, being made any easier by Transport for London, but we won't get into that because it's a long conversation. Jonathan, have a good day. Thank you very much indeed. Julia says, I witnessed a lady handing in a £20 note at Tesco's last week. I was just thinking, I wish I'd have seen it first. I would have handed in somebody's personal wallet, but cash I would just keep. Uh, Scott says, I'm slaughtered in my house because of the amount of phones I lose in cabs and the coats I leave in pubs. The funny thing is, I normally get the phones back, but never the coats. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, normally if you lose your phone, you can track it and you can get it back. Um, but uh, it's very, very interesting that Nottingham has been named as the place where that will happen the least and they will not return stuff if they find it. Uh, let's hear from people in Nottingham. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.